when I was growing up, churches in my area, there were like two or three of them that right around Halloween, instead of doing a haunted house, they had the Revelations houses. And they were depictions of hell or depictions of the end times. And a couple of my friends, there was one out in, in it was like 30 minutes from where I was. And they they loved it because it was, oh, look at these great depictions of the guillotine and the end times. And even sitting with that today, it's how did we as a church think it was okay to create a haunted house? To terrify people into Jesus? Like, really? To turn or burn, yeah. Oh, come to Jesus and you'll only get the guillotine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what's the option without Jesus? Oh, hell? What the hell? Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where we discuss life together, looking for answers to life, the universe, and well, everything else. Here are your hosts, Rob and Lindsay. Hello, Rob. Hey, Lindsay. How's it going? I'm going well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, things are good. Well, good. Yep. So we just bought a car today, kind of, but... Yeah, we bought a car, so that was a little bit delayed to my morning, but here we are. We're now ready to podcast, I think, right? Yes. Yep. (laughs) You know, a couple weeks back we did a, it was a really fun one, we did the movie gems, where we talked about different favorite multimedia and and the adult jokes in them, and that was really enjoyable, but we're not doing that this morning, are we? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're still kind of talking movies, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slight upside? Yeah, I love talking about movies. I love hating on things, <laughs> too. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, because I don't want to say we're going to hate on things, but uh, this is an area of, like, I try not to use this word too much, but it's it's a bit of a traumatic area for me as a kid. Yeah. How old are you talking? So, like like under 10 or? Oh, it it had to have been under 10. It really did. I think I think this was like second or third grade where I encountered this whole genre initially and uh it messed me up. I into my late 20s. It, there it's hung around. So, ah. And even now, I can't even go back and, and try to watch these movies. They're they're on the do not ever talk about list. But we're going to talk about them this morning. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> what kind of movies are we talking about? We're talking about, well, end times media is, is really right. the best way to phrase it. And Christian depictions of, well, what those end time prophecies found in, uh, and I'll give the two big books, Daniel and Revelation, but there are other chunks of that prophecy that are within Scripture. So, you know, we have this huge area of our faith that is open to interpretation, and it it has spawned different versions throughout time of what does that look like. 
for me, one of my actual favorite engagements in this is C.S. Lewis's The Space Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he wrote three books, and the first one is Out of the Silent Planet, which is a good one. It talks about an old world that is slowly fading, but under under God's provision, and they understand this fade, and are thankful and gracious with it. Hmm. Prelandra is a, a new world, and its growth and what it looks like pre-fall for Earth, and do they do they get past that temptation and what that looks like? And then the third book is A Hideous Strength, which deals with elements of the spirit of the Antichrist that is on Earth trying to bring about and bring the end. And that's my favorite interaction. That's going back into the 40s, 50s time frame. And it's like every 20 years or so, Christians get this idea of creating a, a whole mass market of media around the end times. What are yeah, the prophecies? Yeah. What are the ideas? And so your interaction with it really came at the height of yeah. the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is Leahy and Jenkins writing the Left Behind series. This is the rise of... Uh, I, I remember watching this. It was a 2001 movie, The Omega Code. Yeah, and yeah. the idea that the Bible had a code hidden in it that would reveal the end time. Mm-hmm. But my very first interaction with it was I had to be like eight or nine, roughly. And I was over at a friend's house. And I don't know if it was a on TV movie. I don't know if his mom was watching it, but it was a movie th- series. I keep, when we've referenced it, I keep calling it Days of Thunder, uh, which is a great Tom Cruise movie that has nothing to do about the end of the yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same friend, he and I used to watch that, and we loved it. It was car racing and, you know, mm-hmm. 90s action, but... Uh, same friend, I was exposed to a movie series called A Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. And that movie series takes a bit of a kind of turn or burn scare tactic to dealing with uh, dealing with the end times. And one of the popular things that is there in end times pieces is the idea that you either take the mark or you go to the guillotine. Right. Right. And so they they had this whole scene played out with this woman screaming in fear and you know, she doesn't want to take the mark, but she kind of freezes and then she begs for the mark, but then she gets her head chopped off. I'm eight or nine seeing this whole scene and it's no, no, no. Yeah. The, and and for me, as a first interaction with, you know, eight or nine, that's the first interaction I have with any aspect of scripture that is end times and prophetic and going into my late 20s i still carried that with me and when i really started questioning not late 20s uh early teens or late teens early 20s there we go when i was questioning what my faith was mm-hmm. this moment stuck and was a a thorn that put me in that point of uh exploring and questioning Gnosticism or agnosticism. So for me, that interaction with the end times came in the the late 70s, early 80s, that time period of the end time media and really turned me off to to the whole idea, not of the end time, but of uh, 
how we kind of glamorize this section of it. Yeah. For you, you had a different reaction to it. Yeah. For me, it I guess mobilized. It mobilized me. It gave it gave me um, because it was the Columbine thing that sort of started it, and then it was the movies. Um, Cloud Ten did a bunch of movies, including Left the Left Behind series, like Apocalypse, Revelation, things like that. In a lot of those movies, the characters would very likable characters would be given a choice to deny Christ or something. Or, yeah, have your head chopped off. It was always the head chopping. <laughs> and um, I found it, like, I don't know, almost not in a sexual way, but fetishy. It was kind of like something that I aspired to. <laughs> I <sighs> I don't know. I'm not really sure. But I, I guess because it's such a practical thing, like, if you love Jesus, you'll die for him. And I don't know if I love Jesus, so if I die for him... I must. <laughs> I don't know. So to a degree, sorry, th this is interesting. For To a degree, it kind of gave you the thought process of having a very clear black and white yes and no. Yes. Of the love of Jesus, uh, what that would look like, how that would be for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe finding, yeah, being worthy, you know, like, because um, in Revelation it talks about I can't remember where, but they use this terminology, this wording, like, these saints were found worthy of, of dying for Jesus. Like, they were found worthy. Like, it's something to be um, coveted, almost. And I think I've always had questions about my Christianity and my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus and am I doing it the right way and do I really believe and is this all emotional? But getting into the practical physical realm of oh yes you are physically you physically have a gun to your head so there's no mystery there's no woo woo there's no spirituality even it's just a clear cut physical choice i liked that i like physical i like practical i don't really like woo woo <laughs> so okay well and that might be actually part of the reason why it's it's a very there multiple reasons but that might be a very good reason why some people find this form of media attractive it allows that clear-cut decision of you know i say yes now i don't have to ever say yes and make that decision again in theory i have thoughts on that with how end times play out but going into what you were saying a moment ago it resonated a bit i was trying to figure out kind of the where and the how of it and that's it tied into something I read not that long ago. I've been trying to go back through and read some of the the ancients, not the right word, but some of the uh, older evangelists of the 18 and 1900s, mm -hmm. uh, Spurgeon, Moody, and, and some of those guys. And Spurgeon wrote a sermon based on Acts 20:24. 20, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And that's Paul writing in Acts 20:24 20, to 25, Paul speaking. And Spurgeon wrote a sermon called A Gospel Worth Dying For. That is that premise of 
is this something that you could, you know, Paul knowing that he's going to Rome, he's going to face potential execution there, as he also testifies with this looming execution. See, and this is where I have I have trouble, because if you ask me if I would die for Christ, the answer is an unhesitant yes. It's, yeah, that is the easiest thing that I could do. But then Paul also writes, Philippians 1.21, In the briefest sense, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. If I am... If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Mm-hmm. Death is easy. I gain everything. Life means I'm not done with ministry yet. And that's how I've kind of grown into it to look to see. And if my life is required, I will surrender it willingly because I gain. But if I if I continue to live, if I continue to fight, it, it's not my benefit then. At least that's the broad view that mature me had to to get to with my view of Revelations. And even looking at Revelations now, if I have to live through the end times, if it's anything like our media depicts, if it's the seven years and the the head lopping, I'll be okay. That head lopping thing, though, uh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting, kicking and screaming the whole way on that one. Okay, I have a theory. This is just off the top of my head, so forgive me if it's a little scrappy, but people love narrative. We love stories. We love stories. And Christianity is a narrative all by itself. But the narrative of Revelation, of what the end times will be like, puts everybody, every Christian, as a kind of Rick Grimes from Walking Dead, you know? like Ooh, I see where you're going with this. Yes. Right? Because it's an invitation now where we look at the Gospels, we look at the writings of Paul and see that grandiose life and adventure, and now Revelations is our invitation, our, yeah, you know, our place to, could I be in this story? Would I fit here? Spelled out, like, like out outside of just church and the routine and things like that, and your inner narrative of, you know of wanting to save other people from damnation. Like that is a story. That is the narrative, but it's not, it's not like dirty. It's not grimy. It's not, you know, and, but revelation is like, it's adventure. Really. It's adventure. And I think that's the appeal of being a hero. Even if it's like, go ahead. Yeah. You No, you, you're, that that is a really good connection there. I mean, you're dead on with that because I I have said that Genesis, the the opening of it, the questions that are there are the invitation into the creative questioning of scripture, the creative how do you do that? examining. And Revelation then serves as that same kind of counterpoint at the end 
I'm, I'm going to circle back to this when I'm, I'm done saying it, but I don't entirely agree. But it's that invitation then into the continued narrative, that end narrative. How do I fit into this story? Yeah. And it, it's a big story because if Genesis is creation, then Revelation being the end, it's, well, it's not the end. I call it the recreation. But it's it allows us to be the hero. It allows us to be a part of that adventure. So yeah, I I fully agree with the premise that you're you're proposing on the idea that Revelation's invitation is into that narrative arc, and that is the temptation of Christian media to create the story around that. Where I push back is on the theological side, mm-hmm. and you're you're not off on the story arc and the narrative and that temptation. That's there. Theologically, I would push back and say Acts is actually our invitation into the story arc and into the narrative. All right, yep. Because it's in Acts that we start seeing the Spirit going out and moving in the people in the church. And I think that's a better healthy theological grounding for the church to take. That's true, right. Yeah. So you you are dead on on the story arc and narrative that is the temptation of media. Just the theological implication, I would push back and say Acts is the better place for the church to sit. When we become obsessed with the end times, what do you think happens? What do you perceive out of that? I think people become intolerable, honestly. <laughs> like, to me, it doesn't... I have to do the end with you? I'm out. No, sorry. It, it... I think, I don't know why the book was written exactly, but in a way it would almost be better, I don't know, not to know, not to know what's going to happen because it just, the, there's so many questions and you can fill in the blank with whatever you want and people get so serious and caught up in this this interpretation and that interpretation and who are the 10 kings and who who's this and that and it's like, please, please. It bores me. That kind of talk just, oh, come on. <laughs> Who cares? It's going to happen the way it happens. But I think I like what you said about, you know, that that narrative, that revelation thing is far away. So it's not now. And we're all much braver when we're talking about an adventure we're going to have. <laughs> you know, ask Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> right? It's easier to say, yes, I would die for Christ when there's not a legitimate threat. To your immediate existence, right? Sitting in the living room and drinking a cup of coffee. And being like, yeah, I would totally get my head cut off with a rusty guillotine. Absolutely. But but what you just said about Acts, no, 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 no. Revelation isn't your entry point into this narrative. Your entry point is Acts. So get the heck off your butt. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what are you doing now? Are you, not that we're supposed to be self-centered, but like we're all, we're all the main character in our story. So are mm-hmm. you being the main character you could be? Are you being the the protagonist and and making change or are you just waiting for for revelation and waiting for Jesus to come back and waiting for the guillotine? That's not where you make your stand. Acts is where you make your stand. See, now I have to laugh because I put it as an invitation. You put it as a smackdown. Get into Acts. <laughs> Get into this invitation of being the church, which is is entirely fair because there is really this undercurrent of obsession with the idea of the end times. It's there. I mean, I, in my job in youth ministry, it's about a three-year cycle roughly with my students where it's about every three years they'll go, can we study what the end times would be? 
I don't think, and I've got a, a few years on this, but I don't think I have ever taught it truly as the seven-year literal translations we saw in, uh, in like the, the Tribulation series, the Left Behind series. Mm-hmm. But what I have always tried to say is that this is an invitation into the speculative because it is prophecy. It's the final chunk of prophecy that we don't have that hasn't been fulfilled. So we don't know because prophecy is is tricky. It's meant to be tricky. It, It was in one of the early rounds with where I'm at now speaking to the pastor I work for. And uh, she went, she and I were having a great conversation about this and she offered a summary that is the best summary that I I've ever heard or seen or dealt with on on revelations and that we so quickly lose in well in the media depictions of revelations and it's hope and sitting with that maybe it's fair to ask this in every teaching you've had of revelations and every interaction you've had with end time prophecy in the church has hope ever played a key role in that if by hope you mean things are going to get better after this after this jesus's kingdom is coming or the there's a new heaven and new earth after this terrible thing the good is the good part so just hang in there if that's what you mean then i then i guess sort of yeah she said that, and I mean, it sat with me because, again, going back to that scene I saw in the the Thief in the Night movie series, I mean, the option was die a terrifying death. Because let's be honest, it's it's terrifying. There's a reason why in the French Revolution it's called the Reign of Terror when Robespierre was just, hey, hey, everybody's head's going to get lopped off. And there's a reason why the French lived in fear of the the guillotine. So in that scene, it depicted terror of horrifying death or terror of eternity in hell. And I saw no hope in that. And, And it was that lack of hope that sat and festered. I mean, that's the only way I can consider is it festered for years and put me in a spot of how is this at any point an okay spot for the church to be in? And <laughs> I, you may have done these as a, a kid or teen. Up your way, did they ever have anything called Revelations Houses? Did you ever do any of those? I act what, are you talking about like the like the the rooms that are supposed to look like hell? Well, there are a couple different her. Uh, her uh, that. There are a couple different. I can't say house and version at the same time, but there are a couple different versions of it. There we go. But when when I was growing up, churches in my area, there were like two or three of them that right around Halloween, instead of doing a haunted house, they had the Revelations houses. And they were depictions of hell or depictions of the end times. And a couple of my friends, there was one out in, in, it was like 30 minutes from where I was. And 
they they loved it because it was oh look at these great depictions of the guillotine and the end times and i'm again i'm still in this you know i i have this festering wound of this isn't okay and even sitting with that today it's how did we as a church think it was okay to create a haunted house to terrify people into jesus like really to turn or burn yeah Oh, come to Jesus and you'll only get the guillotine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. What's the option without G? Oh, hell? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. And that's that's where I have always struggled with this. And that, you know, for me, that, that kind of moment of speaking to, yeah, there are these horrible things. But where's the hope? Where can we find that hope of in Revelations, in what is to be? And we have, and I will say flat out, as Christians, I think we have done a horrible job at that, of creating hope in how we talk about that prophetic period, how we talk about what will happen at the end, at the beginning, in the middle, in anything. And God forbid you disagree with me on any theological point of pre, post, pan, if tribulation would be seven years, if there's a rapture, if, 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 if. We're, we're going to talk more on that next week and have some fun. Uh, yeah. There's a part of me that is the, the troll that wants to say, let's make predictions. <laughs> yeah because yeah. that always works out well right I think I think the church is missing the point uh, I think it's missing the point I think scaring people or radicalizing people into being better Christians or something is not the way to go you know I w would you would you draw something out there for me a little bit that you sure. said? Yeah. Radicalization with Christians. Mm -hmm. You said this, and, mm -hmm. and we've had some kind of behind-the-scenes conversations about this, but talk with me about that, because this is an underlying piece of that radicalization. I think this is a good part to kind of jump into that. I can't remember what you're talking about, actually. Are you talking about the thing I said about jihad? Yeah. Uh, that there's the element of radicalization similar to jihadists and uh, Christianity that is primarily focused in the end times and being the right side of mm -hmm. yep. the correct side. I'll, yep. I'll use that instead of right side, correct side of. Yeah, I mean, that's the same sort of mentality that young Muslims uh, have is this when they they want to be martyred desperately they really do and if they are there's like a party on their block because because of it because of the rewards that follow it, it falls into that clear-cut yes or no oh i went and did something jihadist and radical that i died doing and then even the option mm -hmm. for the theoretical option for the Christian, I died for Christ. Yeah. But I, in a way, is it lazy? 
Is it lazy to just... I think the part of the Bible that if we want to get literal about stuff, I think we need to get literal about like the spirit <laughs> of God and um, yes, and like raising like, does God want to use you to raise the dead? Does God want to use you to, you know, I mean, like New Testament, Romans 12, Ephesians five, you know, the gifts of the spirit. Like, I think that stuff should in the end or right now, but in the end, that stuff should be so prevalent that, um, it's not going to be fear. It's going to be people are getting healed left and right. It's going to be, you know, I don't know. That's, but that's my opinion. I think if that's where the radicalization should be, not like, yes, I am willing to not be alive anymore for Jesus. <laughs> All right. So I think I asked this of you back when we were still fighting over elements of faith and, and atheism. And I think it will demand a deeper conversation. Okay. But your your general belief is that we still live in an age of miracles where it is possible for the dead to be raised citing the the biggest of the potential miracles we'll say yeah i i think that the um the new testament doesn't say anything about it not being the same as it was back then i don't see a change i don't in the scripture i don't see a difference i don't think why would all those instructions have been in there about how to keep the church like how to keep the church organized and have people still using their gifts like we like Paul, there's a lot of scriptures where Paul's like, I want you to use your gifts, but like one at a time. OK, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> like this is the purpose of this gift and this is the purpose of this gift. And the fact that it's three times in the Bible, he's either talking about um, positional authorities like. And other times it's like a gifting, like something that you that you have that you're already doing that God wants to use. I think sometimes they're called the redemptive gifts, like gifts everybody has that God wants to use. So I don't think those things would be in the Bible if um, it wasn't something that should be applied today. And I think the reason that you have it happening more in other countries is because they believe that it happens in other countries. They believe it. They believe it's true. They believe it's for them. And lo and behold, hey. People get raised from the dead. People get healed of their tumors. So, and I know the fact, I sound so hypocritical because like three weeks ago I was saying that this was, that was stupid, but I think it's, it's either hot or cold. It's either true or false. And it, so if God is real and the Bible is true, this is what the Bible says. So, so yes. Did I answer your question? I'm not really sure if I answered your question. Oh, you most definitely answered my question and added some exposition, which is excellent. I, I'm not begrudging that. And, you know, if you go back to that conversation, I, I do believe we still live in an age of miracles as well. I just think there's a, a difference. And I think that this is actually a great core question for us to look at down the road further of directly speaking to and asking questions of miracles, how that ties in, what does that look like in this modern age? And yeah, because I mean, that's that's a huge question. In the church, and there is a debate between, well, not between, but there is a debate of, yes, we still live in an age where these grand miracles are possible, and there's another camp that says, no, that age has passed. We are 
I don't know what to call it exactly, but I've heard some who make the argument where post-Malachi, pre-Matthew, that 400-year span, that this is kind of what we're in right now. We're in this silence hmm. uh, of, you know, there's faith is still there, the love, the spirit is still there, but there's this silent aspect. And I, I don't buy that. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people separate out, like, um, I'll cite a scripture about why why I think, you know, God wants to use us now in a in a supernatural way. And people will say, well, that was the disciples, or that's what the disciples did, and they were really special, which I disagree. I don't think they were special. I think they were just used. <laughs> they were available. And uh, so, or Jesus did that. Jesus is different. And I'm not sure, yes, he's different than a human being, but... But then again, he said, go, he, he commissioned us to be his authority. And so I don't see why, I don't see how or why um, God would, Jesus would do things and not expect us to do them too. And and you're, you're right there. I, there's, sorry, I, I have the argument in my head. It's, it'll be really good. We're going to have to hold on to this one though. Okay. So. <laughs> Because I, I really think this will be a good conversation as well of, you know, what is that value of miracles? And if you're listening to this, actually, because this is different for everyone, everyone has had their own experience either with or without, get in touch with Lindsay and I. Do it either through the Facebook, the Twitter, or for those of you who know us directly, you know, get in touch with us that way. And may I even offer a very bold, a bold thing that if you would like to email well email the podcast we do technically have an email Mm -hmm. so feel free to email us and the email is bad theology productions at gmail.com and if you have thoughts if you have questions Lindsay and i can respond interact and yeah i mean we're we're here as part of part of these greater conversations and your voice is definitely an important part of that. So I guess at some point we're doing a miracles podcast now and we'll talk directly and, Mm. you know, send us your messages, send us your thoughts, send us why or why not. Mm. We'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. That was a fun rabbit trail. Yes, it was. (laughs) End of the world. Miracles. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, it was kind of a rabbit trail, but like, I think it's just a contrast with getting your head cut off. Like, or, and I think we're back it's, to it's that. A, it's an alternative. It's an alternative to being all excited about that when I think we should be excited about the other. So that's I think that was the connection. The presence of the spirit over yeah. the head lopping. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, yeah, and again, I mean, that, that speaks back into the idea of we we need to have and we need to speak to and we need to enable hope. and. You know, not because, not because we need to be a happy people all the time. I think we can sit with what is the end times prophecy and be uncomfortable and be terrified. But I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, with our media, with our productions, our books, our whatever, am I speaking to hope or am I speaking to something that will play into a fear and because of that sell? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a good story. You know. With 
Yes. With that. When they came out, did you read the Left Behind series? I did. I read every single one. Actually, I didn't read the last one. I, I read every single one except the last one. Okay. Which I tend to do because I don't like when things end. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, they didn't end for a while even when they did end because then they wrote a few others that were supplemental. And I, I read all of the main the main seven-year arc of it. Mm-hmm. What, what was your thought? What was your, like... Lindsay's in the early 2000s, late 90s thought on the Left Behind series. I thought they were interesting. I liked the Antichrist. I thought he was a fantastic character. <laughs> I really liked him. Um, I thought <laughs> he was... He I was just a good... took a drink. Come on. <laughs> I gotta stop drinking coffee. <laughs> From a book perspective, I, I really liked the, the characters. And yeah, I found it inspiring too like in particular chloe her name was chloe i think and i liked her story arc and where and when they end up at petra i i just liked that whole thing when it started to really chloe died I, she didn't she end did up at she petra. did oh she didn't well i thought it was right around that time or in that book that's why maybe that's why i associate the two i think her dad ended up at petra i think she died didn't she? yeah okay yeah she did and i definitely i remember that she met the guillotine. Hmm. I found it inspiring in, a, in the same way. But one thing that kind of came out to me in the book was there was this... A couple characters had this attitude, like, when they would enter a Christian or somebody that was newly saved, you know, because obviously none of them were Christians at first. So they were Christians. But there was this idea that once you had the mark, once you have... Once somebody has the mark, it's okay for Christians to kill them. Because, and I, I just remember this one thing, there was like a pilot involved and there was some f- fighting and, and the guy killed the other uh, Christian, the, um, the guy with the mark because, and he felt okay about it because he's had a mark. So he, he can't be saved after that, which I thought, eh, that's interesting. It is interesting because I, uh, the, the elements of growth in personal and, uh, life that I consider can look back on and consider even plays out in that of in my younger more idiotic and uh not filtering my my words as much i'm pretty sure i probably said something like that oh the mark it looks like a target ha 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 you know <laughs> yeah it, there's yeah. no grace in that and there's no grief for someone who has in that premise sold their souls yeah. And, and there is most definitely an undercurrent of creating an us versus them, a, a very clear yes. cut enemy of uh-huh. who I am and allowing us, allowing us to hate the repugnant cultural other because yeah. they have clearly sided with. Once, yeah, once that happens in the book and people have the mark, it's basically a zombie story, but without eating each other. You can, you know, there is no hope. <laughs> they're not hmm. going to change their minds. They're, they're, they're bad. They're just plain bad because they sold their soul. There's no good in them, and I think that's, I think that's silly. But yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I, I didn't connect that. That's that's good. That's really good. Uh, one of the silly things, kind of rabbit trailing, that I remember is my father is really good at math, mm-hmm. and. When he told me this, do you remember what the Antichrist's favorite number was? 
in the Left Behind series. No. He always stayed in a room with this number. The plane he flew on, which featured hugely throughout the whole thing, was had this number attached to it. And it was 216. Huh. Any idea why that number would be valuable? Six times six times six. 216. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Little little subtle math nod in there. And I, I don't know why that's one of the biggest pieces that always sticks with me is just the the ways that they hid even that idea of the antichrist is evil but they also did try to make him and you said this of you like that character he was well written to to feel like you want to like him but there's that subtle continuous element of he's bad yeah i don't know how bad he is yet but he's bad yeah. And you get that in the later half as he really becomes unhinged. Yeah. Yep. But I do think that is something that is an accurate part of our Christian depiction of that end time is that however that plays out, the spirit of the Antichrist will be will be such that it's attractive. That we're not Christians, just I'm speaking to, to everyone as a whole. We're willing to follow this individual because we hold they are what is righteous, what is good. That there's a deception element that we're going to miss. Some of us may not, some of us will. I don't know. I'm not going to make a true prediction on that. And if I do make a prediction, don't take me seriously. I'm not being serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is it's... It's supposed to be a deception. It's supposed to be, and it's a it's bait. There's no like razor blade bait. It's like, no, it's it's like you know chocolate cake. That's the bait. Yeah. You know, it's like that. It's it's harmless and wow. Actually, I really want cake right now or whatever. You know. So yeah. And and who knows how long into the end times that is the case. You know, the upside down of of good is bad and bad is good. Who knows how far into the end times that will stay? You got it right on. Yes. I would argue, not just from Revelations, but I would argue that Scripture also invites and challenges. And we miss this. We miss this because we have questions of faith. And faith is this, I'm going to speak overly simplistic, it's this mystical answer to everything. But I think scripture invites and challenges and pushes Christians not to be this mystical super warrior of faith, but to be, and, and even in what Jesus says, there are going to be others who come back, other antichrists who come back, and they have power, and they'll do amazing things. I think it's an invitation for the Christian to be a skeptic. Yeah. To, yeah. to question first, not blind faith, running into it, oh, that's, you know, and... We've seen this with church collapses. People don't question. So someone who looks attractive, someone who sounds really good at preaching, someone who can articulate well and tells good stories and is probably good looking to throw to, you know? Well, and uh, actually, going back to our young adult ministry days, we got a chance. I, I think this is 
that first year when you were there, we got a chance to meet Ravi Zacharias. Did we? I don't know if I remember that. Okay, that might have been my second year then. Because I remember meeting him. I really, I've liked Ravi Zacharias over the years. And then with his passing and everything, and it's, it's that. Where was the skeptics for Ravi Zacharias asking him about his, his personal practices? Where are the skeptics challenging the people who are growing into positions of power and saying, hey, how you doing? What's going on? How, how can we team up and not just team up for our own power growth, but accountability? I think, the, I think that is a symptom of the fact that in our Christianity, we've got superstars. Even in small churches, you can't help it. It just happens is the pastor is a tiny little super superman. And even if he tries not to be, he still is. <laughs> because because there's no I don't think there's a big encouragement of other giftings in Ezekiel somewhere there's this really cool illustration that has always stuck with me is it was either Jeremiah or Ezekiel being the watchman on the walls and being on the wa- being on the walls like of Jerusalem looking out and you you do not you do not stop looking and you are constantly looking for anything that might harm your city you know and and if there's something coming you better say something and i think that's kind of the role of of the prophet lowercase p you know just i think that's that's in the new testament i think that's what the, they're supposed to do is bring that skepticism and and say whoa 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 just because this guy's a good speaker or just because he can put a sentence together and he's got a diploma does not mean <laughs> that he has the call of god in his life or that what he's saying is true so i think i mean i guess this is a robert trail too but i think it blindsides us every time because we we treat these people like rock stars and and i don't think that's good no, and, and you're right on. There is, um, we'll have to discuss this further too at some point. There, There's a theory, I, I call it a theory, I would need to do more work to get it as an actual theory, but I call it the holy man theory, where when I go out, I try not to actually say what my job is. I work in ministry. I'm actively ministering in a church setting, and if I can, I, I don't say what I do for a living. If I can, even avoid mentioning, you know, what my college background is, because it's as soon as I say that, oh, I'm in ministry, I work as a youth director, there's this shift and change in people's mind mm-hmm. where there's this holy principle they now apply to me directly or indirectly, and I must have direct lines to God and, and that little Superman that you talked about. I mean, that that's what they then apply of, oh, he's he's got spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. can't stand that because it's, okay, hi, I, I'm a broken person. If you're around me when I'm doing car mechanics, you'll wonder what sailors I learned my language from. <laughs> and Yep. You know, you, you know, the Greek phalanx thing, how yeah. the, they would have their shields, mm-hmm. like a wall of shields 
in front, and then even on top, they would have shields on top, so they would move ahead at this unit. You didn't see rank in that unit. You were just going forward, and I, and, okay, I'm sorry, but I think if we could get church out of the church buildings and be in, in, and cut up, I know, and break up churches into smaller bits and have, like, cells I think that's when we would see people actually start to bring their gifts up to the surface and stop like the proscenium arches and the all the chairs facing the same way and the concert feel. I think it's dead wrong and it gives people the wrong idea of what we're supposed to be functioning as is that Greek phalanx thing. Well, and and in the broad sense, yes, yes, absolutely. We still need the structure. We still need the the body of the church, but there are aspects of it that have and do yeah. fail. But when they do fail, we don't look and evaluate. We just slap a new coat of paint on it. And I'm speaking broadly again of of the church as a whole, not the individual churches, because there are churches that are growing and moving and working in ways that are outside the boundary of the building. Yeah. There are ministers and church workers and staff who are seeking to break down boundaries, who are seeking to work from within to to bring that revelation, to bring that desire of a church. I call it a church unhinged. That the doors are just busted off, that the the spirit moves out from the church. The church acts as a central hospital for all, and it's an outward movement. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think getting in touch with, I, I agree with what you said about the church still functioning with its roles. Is that what you said? Like the roles of diff, the, the structure. I do believe that there should be a structure in in the like little tiny communities that I wish was happening. But I think what you're going to see is people who have a pastoring gift that haven't gone to school. They haven't, they don't have a P, pastor, or a M ministry, capital M ministry in front of their names. They're just, you know what, I have the gift of pastoring. That's just what I do. And letting people use their gifts and letting the evangelist, you know, that's so I I agree. I just think it, it's, I think it's too, it's too um, corporate. It's too corporate. (laughs) <laughs> there are most definitely elements of structured so it's a double-edged sword with this conversation because there are elements of that structure that create the accountability that eliminate that that bloated church structure of an individual super failure is what I'll call it. You have bureaucratic action behind it that is trying to prevent it. Sometimes that slows and bogs down the church, but then the flip side is you have churches that are more agile because they don't have that same bloated structure, but they're then prone to creating that mini Superman who, when they fail, they take everything with them. It all crashes and burns. And that's that's a really hard balance to find of how do you how do you interact appropriately and not creating a whole business, not creating a corporate but creating a, a true, legitimate church that supports mission and ministry and supports the feeding of the widows and the orphans and supports being a hospital to bring in and go out for the believer. And, and that's... Lindsay, I, I wrestle with that. 
to this day where they're the church is a complex and beautiful organism that is worth fighting for is where i'm at that's the end statement of where i'm at that's that's where i had to get to with you know looking at how we did the media of revelations is the church worth fighting for dying is easy it's that living part is it worth fighting to have these conversations of maybe we're not presenting revelations right maybe we're not presenting ourselves our ministry r r r r correct yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i did not expect this to kind of be where we would end this conversation i thought we'd still be bouncing around in revelations a bit <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> well it was about right any any additional thoughts not n- <laughs> no <laughs> okay we need to have more of a conversation on this mm-hmm. and, and i have to say one of the exciting things i'm seeing with where we're at now is piece by piece that dance card of conversations is filling with these neat exploratives that we each have. We may agree, we may disagree. We'll have to come up with something we disagree on strongly soon because, you know, it's been two months since we had a fight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Next week, I do want us to jump back into Revelations one more time. You up for it? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. And this time kind of avoiding the media aspect of it, but actually speaking to what our direct perceptions of the prophetic would be. All right. You know, and hey, let's jump into the Bible code. I'm being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And make predictions. Still being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to say about it exactly, but I, I guess I can give it a look and see see what my what I think. Honestly, if I may offer kind of, I guess, a a preview of what I'm going to be looking for and asking and drawing out of you in this, Mm -hmm. is for you, this was an element of radicalization for your faith early on. Mm -hmm. For mine, this was an element of detriment. And I'm curious, just out of that radicalization and out of that detriment... How do we then interact with what is Revelations? What is Daniel? What is end time prophecy? Yeah. And, and I showed my hand a bit because hope is that key word that I have. But where do you find that hope in in what is a interesting book of mm-hmm. the Bible? This is interesting. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. I'll see you or talk to you again soon. Yep, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The 42 Podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.